Good morning. My name is Tim Regan. I have the privilege not only preaching today, but serving as one of our elders here at Riverside. Our scripture focus is on one of the most famous parables uttered by Jesus, the parable of the prodigal or lost son. In this story, Jesus is seeking to remind us that every soul is precious to the Father. You're going to hear that about a dozen times in the next 40 minutes. And I'm going to prompt you with the question why at certain points in the sermon. And I'm going to ask you to say it with me. Let's practice. Every soul is precious to the Father. We'll have to do better than that. Biblical scholars estimate that the younger son in this story was about 17 years old, a teenager. When we look at some of the startling statistics regarding teenagers in the U.S. today, it's shocking to see how lost many of our youth have become. 37% of high school seniors, 17-year-olds, surveyed in 2020 used illicit drugs in the past year. 55% surveyed used alcohol in the past year. In the next 24 hours in the United States, over 1,400 teens will attempt suicide. 2,800 teenage girls will become pregnant. Over 15,000 teens will use drugs for the first time. And over 3,500 teens will run away from home. As you can see, there's a whole generation of prodigal sons and daughters as we enter 2021. I have read the passage of the prodigal son hundreds of times and believe it can be used to preach hope into the lives of the teens we just spoke about and their parents and families who are awaiting the return of their prodigal. As many of you know, my wife Deanne, who's running sound today, thank you, my wife Deanne and I are awaiting the return of our prodigal daughter, Lizzie, who is unfortunately the poster child of many of these statistics. I've also had the privilege of counseling and talking with many of you in our own congregation that are also awaiting the return of a lost family member. Friends, I need you to put down your devices. I need you not to multitask for the next 35 minutes. I need you to focus on what Jesus is sharing with us this morning. In this treasured parable, Jesus is telling us about the salvation of all lost souls. And he's, in, he's trying to impress upon you and me today why? Please say it with me. 
every soul is precious to the Father. That includes you and the prodigals in your life. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide every word that is spoken. Lord, I pray as I have the privilege of preaching your word, Lord, that you would just illuminate scriptures in a way and speak to the hearts of those gathered here. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, the blueprint to our lives. May all that we do bring glory and honor to you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So as Pastor Joe has taught us, we always start with context. In the beginning of this chapter in Luke's gospel, we are reminded that the enemies of Jesus were criticizing him because he received sinners and tax collectors. In response, Jesus tells him three parables, three stories with a common theme. Say it with me. Every soul is precious to the Father. We're getting better. In the previous verses, Jesus tells us of the lost sheep, the lost silver, and today we focus on the lost son. All three parables that Jesus shares with his followers are about lost things that are found by the owner. All three parables bring out the joy of God when the lost sinner is found. I'm going to attend to exposit our scripture verses in the following key sections for the sermon today. Section one, the son's selfish request. Two, sin's attraction and price. Three, the son's realization and return. Four, the loving father's forgiveness, fellowship, restoration, and rejoicing. And five, the older son's attitude towards his lost brother. I'll go ahead and reread the verses that Nolan shared as we go through each of these sections. Section one, the son's selfish request, verses 11 and 12. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Jesus' parable starts with a very harsh request from the younger son as he asked his father for his share of the inheritance even before his father dies. According to Old Testament law in Deuteronomy, the youngest son was entitled to one-third of his father's estate and the older son was entitled to two-thirds. This was indeed a shocking request. Basically, the boy was saying to the father, I wish you were dead, and I want to be free from you and your control in my life. Frankly, this is no different than many of us who say to our heavenly father that we want to live our lives our own way as if God were dead. Notice the boy said to his father, give me. His focus is on me. His life is all wrapped up within himself and he cares for no one else 
especially not the father. But what was the father's response? He could have refused and kicked his son out, but instead he is gracious. He merely does what his son asks him to do and gives the boy his inheritance. The Bible says, and he divided his property between them. The father gives both of his sons the result of his life and work, basically his estate, while still living. The younger son wanted what the father could give him, but he did not want a relationship with the father. Once again, we see Jesus speaking about the lost sinner. The lost person takes no thought for God. The attitude toward God is, give me. They want what God can give them in this world, but they don't want God involved in their lives. Section 2, verses 13 through 16, sin's attraction and price. I'll reread those verses for you. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. The son gets just what he wanted. However, he soon learns the harsh reality of sin's pleasures. The words reckless living refer to a life totally given over to sinfulness and wickedness. Eventually, the son's money runs out. And what happens when the money runs out? The friends disappear, right? Not only did he run out of money, but a second disaster struck him simultaneously. A severe famine arose in that country. A reminder that God is sovereign and he does allow trials in our lives and the lives of our prodigals to get our attention. I hope this is reassuring to parents and family members of a prodigal. We often need to let the consequences of sin run its course before God can rescue them. The boy finds himself broke, alone, and miles away from a father who had done nothing but love him. Still, by his own actions, he is separated from the father by a life full of sin, pride, and ignorance. So it is with every soul that is lost in sin, separated from God. In Isaiah 59:2, we read, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. At the end of verse 14, he began to be in need. Life had turned upside down for this 17-year-old boy. When the music stopped, the friends left, and the money was all gone, he found out 
that his sin had robbed him of everything of value. And it left him hopeless and helpless during a famine far away from home. My friends, this is how sin treats all of its victims. It will promise you the world, but it can only deliver hopelessness, desolation, and death. In James 1, verses 14 and 15, we read, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. As many have found the hard way, sin leads to broken lives. Sin leads to ruined marriages, shattered dreams, damaged trust, health problems, hopelessness, depression, defeat, and ultimately death. Remember, the Father loves all his lost children, and he is ready to rescue your prodigal. Why? Say it with me. Every soul is precious to the Father. Because of his foolish decisions, the 17-year-old boy found himself in a mess, didn't he? But he learned three valuable lessons. Sin brings shame, sin brings suffering, and sin brings sadness. Number one, sin brings shame. Here is a Jewish boy who finds himself feeding the pigs. For a Jewish man to stoop to this level would mean that he had truly reached the very bottom of the barrel of life. Could you imagine the shame? Those who allow sin to have its way in their lives always come to shame sooner or later. The shame of a wasted life, the shame of a wasted youth, the shame of wasted opportunities. But worst of all, there is the shame of a wasted eternity. There will come a day when many will be ashamed in God's presence. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Number two, sin brings suffering. Here he is, no home, no help, no hope, no one cares for him. He is starving and would have taken the pig's food if he could have. He is suffering because of the choices he has made. Those who allow sin to play itself out to its ultimate conclusion without confession and repentance find that a life without God in eternity is the ultimate result. So sin brings shame, sin brings suffering, and number three, sin brings sadness. No one really cares if he lives or dies. He's hungry and he's broken. But how did God use that? It turned out to be the first step 
in getting him home. I think this is what they call in the addiction community hitting rock bottom. He finally hit rock bottom. Nothing is more sad than a life broken by sin. Nothing hurts as badly as seeing a life that was once filled with potential dashed to pieces on the cruel rocks of wicked living. Even though the prodigals in our lives brought the consequences of sin upon themselves, we need to be careful to not forget why Jesus is telling this parable. Say it with me. Every soul is precious to the Father. God can use their witness, God can use our testimony for his ultimate glory. We need to continue our faithful prayers for the prodigals in our lives to hit rock bottom. And we need to never tire of constantly and consistently pointing them to Christ and praying for their repentance and return to the Father. Section 3, verses 17 through 20, the son's realization and return. I'll reread those verses. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. I love this phrase in verse 17, when he came to himself. This boy's entire time in the far country had been a time of insanity. I used to tell my daughter Lizzie, entangled in drug addiction, that insanity is defined as continuing to do the same thing but expecting a different result. Like Lizzie, many of our prodigals are entrapped by sin. They are not thinking clearly. By God's grace, the fog of insanity finally lifts and the son in Jesus' parable remembers how good it had been at home with the father. A life lived in sin is a life of insanity because the sinner is blind to his condition and to his ultimate destination. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, we read, in their case, the God of this world, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The first step in getting out of sin is to realize that you're in sin in the first place. The son makes up his mind to go home. 
He is tired of life in the far country. He wants to go home where he can be loved, where he can be fed, and where he can be cared for. Even as he makes up his mind to go home, he realizes what he has done. He sees his own unworthiness, and he's willing to go home under any circumstances at all. He just wants to get out of the far country and back in his father's house. You can see his change in what he says. He left home saying, give me. He returns home saying, forgive me and allow me to serve. Before he did not want to be under the father's authority. Now he's willing to be a hired servant if that's what it would take to go home. We see a 17-year-old boy who is willing to confess his wrongs, to repent of his sins, and return to his father. He expressed sorrow not for what he had lost, but for what he had done. He had sinned. True repentance involves a vertical aspect, admitting fault to God. He sinned against heaven. It also involves a horizontal aspect, admitting fault to others harmed. He sinned against his father. That is where every lost sinner has to get before they will ever be saved. Praise God. This is accomplished by the sending of his Holy Spirit to show us our sins and to reveal our impending judgment. Parents and family members of prodigals, we long for this day when we see our lost ones repent and return to the Lord. Always keep the door open for a changed heart. Why? Say it with me. Every soul is precious to the Father. God loves our prodigals, and he is sovereign and in control of all. In John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, we read, And when he, referring to the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, Satan, is judged. The Spirit shows us where we are. He takes the blinders off and lets us see our true condition. And he points us to Jesus. No man is saved apart from the convicting ministry of the Spirit of God. Section 4. Verses 20 through 24. This is, of course, everyone's favorite part of the parable. I know it's mine. 
the loving Father's forgiveness, fellowship, restoration, and rejoicing. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. As this young man headed home, he did not know what he might find there. What he found was incredible. Jesus emphasizes the welcome the father gave his unworthy son. He saw him while he was still at a distance. He had compassion. And he kissed him. The context is he kissed him repeatedly. He found a father who had been longing, looking, and living for his son's return. He found a father filled with love, compassion, and grace who received him and loved him back into fellowship. The father wouldn't even allow the son to finish his little speech, would he? He just loved him back into a right relationship. My friends, God runs to meet the sinner to quickly extend mercy. He literally interposes himself between us and his wrath. We're reminded of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When this boy came home, he had everything he threw away, restored by the good grace of the Father. This full restoration was symbolically displayed by the Father with the robe, the ring, the shoes, and of course, the fattened calf to celebrate his son's return. I want to share a little bit more about each of those symbols. Number one, the robe, his purity. Here stands the son in the rags of his sins. He doesn't look like a child of this father. But what does the father do? He orders the best of his robes to be brought and to be put on his son. The robe would cover all the stains and dirt from the pig pen. The robe served to erase all the visible signs of this boy's sinful past. When a sinner comes home, they also receive a robe from our Heavenly Father. We read in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me 
with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to those who receive him by faith. When we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all the pain and disdain of our past is forever washed away. Praise God. All the dirt and the filth of a life of sin is forever washed away from us. The next symbol is the ring, which represents his privileges. After the robe came the ring. The ring was a symbol of sonship and authority. The one with the ring could speak for the father. He was in a position of great privilege. When lost sinners repent of their sins and come home to the father, they are given the great privilege of being recognized as his sons. And then the shoes, his position. The father calls for shoes to be brought out for the feet of his son. Only the slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. This boy returned home desiring to be just a mere hired servant. But the father is determined to recognize his position as a son. The father alone determines the position and worth of his children. When you are saved by his grace, you become a child of God. He no longer sees you as a slave or as a sinner, but he sees you as his darling child whom he loves. Of course, we can't, fat, we, we, we can't forget the fattened calf. This was the father's way of sharing his joy with everyone. Instead of a wasted life, the father was celebrating a life redeemed and restored. Everything that was missing in the pig pen was given to him when he returned home. And my friends, so it is when a sinner returns home to God, the Father. There is rejoicing in heaven. There is rejoicing in the house of God. And there is rejoicing in the heart of the redeemed sinner. Why? Please say it with me again. Every soul is precious to the Father. So now we get to a part of the scripture that many preachers don't tackle. Jesus is not done with us. It'd be great if we could stop with the celebration of the son's return and the father's forgiveness and fellowship and restoration and rejoicing. However, if we don't address the last eight verses, we're really going to miss the full context of what Jesus is trying to share with us today. So please, stay with me and focus on what Jesus is trying to tell you and me today. Let's reread those last eight verses, verses 25 through 32, 
the older son's attitude towards his lost brother. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate. I just lost my screen. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. These verses about the older son allow us to see the contrast in reactions uh, of the father and the elder son to the prodigal's return. Remember, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking about lost things. He's dealing with the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees towards lost sinners. These verses, I hope, will reveal any attitudes in our hearts regarding those lost in sin. The drug addicts, the alcoholics, the troubled teens we spoke about at the start of the sermon. Like the older brother, many of us are involved in the things of God, but sadly, we have no real compassion for the lost. We might be in the Father's house here in church today, but we may still be lost. Remember, the elder brother is entitled to two-thirds of his father's possessions. When we first meet the elder brother, he's in the fields, busy doing his father's business. While his younger brother has been off in the far country living it up, this young man has stayed home and has kept up the family business. He has been working or the father. At this point in the story, we do not know that there is a problem in the life of the older brother. Based upon the context of the scripture, we're going to guess he's maybe two years older, still a teenager, 19 years old. From every outward appearance, he is in good fellowship with his father, and all is well. But remember, he is a picture of the Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious elite to whom Jesus is speaking. These were people who were also in a place of privilege. These were people who, were, uh, who looked good to men. But there was a problem where 
There was a problem in their hearts. Their problem was this. They too were lost in sin and the Lord knew it. The same thing might be true of some of us listening to this sermon right now. You regularly attend church. You may even serve in one or more of our ministries. From all outward appearances, you are as good as anybody around you. But just as Jesus could look into the heart of the Pharisee and see his lost condition, he can look within your heart and mine. 1 Samuel verses 16, uh, verse 16, 7 reminds us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And as Pastor Joe has preached, Recently in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty things and works in your name? And then will I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Being close to the things of God does not equal being saved by the grace of God. Being in a church does not make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. You must not depend on who you are or what you have done for your salvation. You must be born again. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In verses 25 through 30, we see when the older brother hears why there is a celebration, he is angry and he refuses to go into the party. His father comes out and gently pleads with him to come in with the others. His reply to his father is very telling of this boy's heart. In verse 29, he reminds the father of his faithful service and complains that he has never been given a feast for what he has done. We can observe five indications or attitudes of this boy's heart that Jesus is speaking to. Number one, the older brother did not care that his lost brother had come home. Number two, he did not care about that which pleased the father. He did not care about the glory of the Father. He wanted recognition and praise for what he had been doing. Number four, he did not even care about the Father. He did what he did for what he could get out of it. 
And finally, number five, the older brother didn't serve his father out of love, but out of a desire to help himself. When you see this kind of attitude in someone's life, you have someone who may not be a believer or who is certainly out of God's will. My friends, what drives your service in the church today? What are your motives for what you do? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, there is really only one valid motive. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. When you listen to the older son talk to the father, you quickly realize that he is proud, disrespectful, arrogant, defensive, angry, just like the Pharisees that Jesus was addressing in the parable. The older brother may be at home in his body, but he is in the far country in his heart. He is as far away from the father as was the other son when he went away. This is what was wrong with the Pharisees. They kept the letter of the law outwardly, but their hearts were hard. You don't have to be a drunk or a drug addict to be out of God's will. You don't have to be an adulterer to be in the far country spiritually. You can serve your church, you can sing with the worship team, or you could preach the word and still be out of God's will. Do you have a heart full of bitterness because of what someone said to you or did to you? Friend, that puts you in the far country. It is the condition of the heart that matters. When you get saved, the Lord gives you a new heart. On the screen, you see Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Praise God. This new heart gives us the ability to live a new life. But guess what? It's still possible for people with new hearts to be full of sin. What's the solution? 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In our last two verses, the father went out and lovingly encouraged his older son to come into the feast. Why? Please say it with me. Every soul is precious to the father. The father tells this boy that it was fitting that they should have this celebration. The word fitting means necessary. To the father, the return of the lost son was a cause for celebration. A lost one had been found. One considered dead was now alive. And perhaps most importantly, a father's love and faith had been vindicated and the family name restored. 
there was much cause for rejoicing. Praise the Lord, our Heavenly Father never gives up on his kids. The whole point of Jesus' parable has been to show the importance of the human soul to God and to point lost people to a relationship with the Lord. The Father loves you, and you are precious to him. And he loves your prodigals as well. No matter how far we've strayed, no matter what we've done, he will always receive us with open arms when we return to him. If we're being honest with ourselves, we can all relate to these various characters in the story. Where are you this morning? Who are you in this parable? Are you the youngest son lost in the far country of sin? Do you need to come home? Have you wandered away from God? Have you hit rock bottom as a consequence of your sinful choices? It's time to come home to the Father. There's no better time to do that than right now. Our Heavenly Father is waiting to receive you. He's ready to clean you up and wrap you in his righteousness and begin the celebration. Are you the older brother whose heart is not right with God? Will you stay outside and pout? Or will you get in on what the Lord is doing? Have you hardened your heart? Are you out of line with the Father's will? Are you the one who attends church regularly, who does all the right things, but there's a distance in your relationship with God? Have you lost your passion to spend time daily with God, praying and reading scripture and cultivating your relationship with the Father, discipling others and really reaching out to the lost? The choice is yours. What will you do? I challenge you to get before the Lord right now, confess, repent, and turn your life to him right now. And this is where the Lord convicted me. What is your attitude toward the lost? Are you angry and bitter with the prodigals in your life? Jesus is reminding us that we need to be more like the Father with the, the many lost people in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our local community, in our schools, in our workplace. Are you actively seeking the lost and pointing them to the Father? Are you ready to forgive and rejoice 
when the lost are found. Don't give up on your prodigals. Keep praying for them and pointing them to Jesus. If you're lost today, let the Lord show you how precious you are to him and come to him, please, for salvation. If you're a believer but not as close to the Lord as you used to be, I hope you learn that you can come home again. Please, come today to speak with me, Nolan, or one of the members of the worship team after the service. We would love to pray with you. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for reminding us, God, that every soul is precious to you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just work in the hearts of everyone gathered here. Work in the hearts of those that are listening to this sermon through the YouTube broadcast. Lord, may you just reveal if there's any sin in our lives. Lord, that you would just cause us to have a spirit of confession and repentance and turn to you. Father, thank you. Work through this sermon. Work through this scripture, Lord. Thank you. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. And we ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen.